The art of mentoring is that your mentee chooses you. You can never choose who to mentor. They must step up and come to you and say, please mentor me. It's a lot like therapy and help. You can't make somebody get help. The person has to ask. A person has to come to you and say, will you mentor me? And then the art of mentoring is about shutting up more and asking good questions. You might know the answer to the question and you might be surprised by the answer or part of answer that you didn't know that the mentee does know because of their age or previous experience or experiences. Africa X. Creates your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series, and you are listening to our special series, Africa X, which is focused on conversations and experiences with experts from Africa, in Africa, about Africa. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Today, we have a guest that I had the pleasure of meeting actually in 2019 when I was living in South Africa. And we actually met at your studio and we were discussing producing the podcast for the South African music artist Nasty C and his girlfriend. I don't know if you remember that. I do. (laughs) (laughs) And we stayed in touch for such a long time, all of these years, and we've been exchanging notes and talking about podcasting ever since. This gentleman is a serious pioneer in podcasting in South Africa. He has 11 studios and a team of professionals professional creators and producers with three decades of experience across TV, radio, and podcasting. And his love for the industry is actually evident in the work that he does every day. So I must admit that he's an all-around great guy, has always been a great person to share knowledge with, and all very generous as well. So Create Your Life family, please welcome Mr. Gavin Kennedy. Gavin, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I forgot where we first met. That was quite some time ago. And we did that thing with Red Bull. Yeah. It was a long time ago, man. Like it was a fun time. And immediately you and I clicked and we started talking about hosting. And at that time you were doing your own hosting and things like that. It was a good conversation. Well, thanks for the memory. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What's on your mind today, Kevin? My first question for you is how did you get into media with this three decades? Take us on a brief journey. I know that you did some things in community radio, also on television. Like, how did you get started? You know, what's your origin story? My origin story is I come from a family of entrepreneurs, always worked in a family business. And I was working with my parents and we had a tire business, as in wheels of trucks and cars. But my brother was in media. He went to SABC in South Africa and studied to be a sound engineer. And he became a video producer and made TV content. I visited him one day and I thought, hey, what he's doing is cool. (laughs) And started hanging around there more and in the family business less. And then one day noticed I was no longer in the tire business and was fully in the media business in making television and starting radio stations. It was a transition from something I was doing to something that piqued my curiosity and looked like fun. And that was a very long time ago and still doing it. Sounds like you're keeping a tradition going. Just before we hit the record button, you said all three of your children are now working with you at your company. Tell us a little bit of how you got them enrolled into the family culture of working within the family, keeping it in the family. I think it's a little bit like my own story. There wasn't necessarily a plan. It's, okay, what are you doing? Not too sure. Well, come do this in the meantime. And that's what they're doing for now. My daughter is helping run the business. She's dealing with clients and bookings and managing talent and studios. My oldest son is great in the studios and helps with the recordings and a bit of editing. But his real passion is making uh, swords, believe it or not, really unrelated to podcasts. I expect at some stage he's going to stop coming into the studio and spend more time in the forge. (laughs) I've seen that journey before. 
And then my youngest one finished school a couple of years ago, and he's about to head overseas. So he's been helping us out. He's been focusing a lot on audiobooks and a couple of our regular clients doing the editing. He's more creative in the video space. He loves animation and, and a little bit of video. So this has been a nice, safe, fun family place to be, to hang out, to learn, to meet people, to engender a culture of service and learning and innovation. But he hops on a plane shortly to go overseas to Europe for a little while and travel and do some adventures. So we'll see whether he comes back into podcasting or his journey takes him elsewhere. Cool. I love that you have that flexibility for your children, right? To be able to come in out of the business and also to be an example of keeping it in the family and what it looks like to actually create space for there to be opportunities for your family. When we talk about creating space and opportunities, you guys at Solid Gold have done some amazing work. Can you talk about how many podcasts have you produced? And then also, what are some of those that you are most proud of? I've lost track. Whatever well, 100 clients we make podcasts for. As you would expect, there's quite a range, you know, from hobbyists, three people sitting around on a Friday night in the pub, think they're changing the world and they go, we should make a podcast and they come in and record a podcast. And on the other end, we do some work with companies like General Electric Healthcare and United Nations People's Fund. And those are a lot more serious with structure and planning and intention and a lot of production value in them. And in the middle is a really big range of corporate podcasts we work with. Each of those, there's always something that you go, wow, that was cool. That was fun. You know, and the hobbyists... I think there should be a whole genre in Apple, drop down, three people talking shit podcast. You know, it should just be a genre. <laughs> Sometimes they really are interesting and it highlights that there's a niche for everybody. You know, they really, no matter what you talk about, there's, there's going to be somebody. It doesn't have to be a big niche. You know, what they say, if you one in a million, there's 7,000 of you on the planet. That's quite a number. So you should be able to find your tribe. On that big end, helping United Nations communicate serious messages to women and young girls in Africa and the challenges they face, it's serious work and it's meaningful. And then dealing with companies who are really just exploring with content marketing and where does voice fit in and what does it replace and what does it enhance? We've done some fun stuff that one we did with Nasty C, looking back, that was quite innovative at the time. Just a given now that you do an interview for a podcast and you push it out. But back then, there weren't a lot of podcasts around doing that kind of thing. I remember those early conversations. And I remember at that time, I felt like you were doing more JVs with podcasters and primarily focused on working with companies because those were the ones who had the budget and the sustainability. But since then, it seems like Solid Gold has become a production studio, incubator, as well as doing the JVs with the creators. How did you end doing audiobooks now? How did you expand this as your offering and why did you choose these options? What led you to choose these options? Kevin, there's two sides to every coin. There's a lot of talk about first mover advantage. We weren't the first mover in podcast in South Africa by any means, but we were really the first mover in making a hub available for anybody to come in and access studios. You know, a lot of people have got audio studios that you could make a podcast in, or they built podcast studio for their own podcast and they wouldn't let other people in. Our offering was to build multiple studios to make access easy for anybody with a podcast. You don't have to make it with us. You can just rent space and record it. So there's a first mover advantage in that space, but there's also a penalty. And the penalty is we were early. Five, six years ago, it was very early to be putting multiple studios in one place and expect people to queue up outside. Also, it's not evident what's going to 
pop, what's going to be sustainable, what's going to still be happening in the podcast space five years from now. So we took a view that we should be quite broad initially. We should try lots of things, small podcasts, big podcasts, corporate podcasts, a whole range of things so that we have exposure to all of them and can get feedback on what's working, what's growing, what's not, and down the line, see whether we want to double down in one aspect of it or not. And it's still early. Five, six years later, it's still early. The distinction between what is a podcast and what is an audiobook, it's quite an abstract technical, academic conversation. But to the listener, they're almost indiscernible sometimes, except for perhaps which app you're using and maybe some DRM issues and things like that. But it was a logical extension for us to go, okay, well, we have to do audiobooks because essentially a podcast that's a closed season is a podcast and audiobook as well. The JVs is a very interesting space for us because we've got a number of clients where we are literally partners in the venture with them. We partner in providing some of the production and the recording and the editing and the publishing to the extent that we partner with them in the Shopify manifestation or implementation of the retail outlet of it. That's because we're really curious about how this thing is going to fully integrate. How are these pieces all going to tie together? How does a Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, email campaign integrate with a podcast, integrate with a shop that sells the stuff you're talking about? So yeah, we're experimenting with a couple of those with some clients, taking a share of the risk with them. I think three, four, five years from now, it's going to be far more common and far more the norm. By the time that comes, we will have had cut our teeth. We'll have done a few and be able to help clients leapfrog over the Dunning-Kruger and the leading and bleeding pain. Gotcha. I was actually talking to someone about that earlier today and how powerful it is. You're being the first, but as the first, then people kind of look to you for guidance or you're actually writing a blueprint for what would be successful. It's like everybody else won't have to go through the doom and gloom of, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Stand on the shoulders, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Stand on the shoulders. Because you've been at this for a while and it's still early, so many years later, what do you feel are solid gold superpowers and what is keeping you guys afloat, honestly, even from a revenue perspective or however you would like to share? We are trying very hard not to sell a commodity. For us, it's about a relationship. In technical terms, anybody can make a podcast. Plug your USB mic in, open up Anchor and hit record and publish on Spotify. The barriers to entry are so ridiculously low that if you get into a commodity stroke price war, it's just a race to the bottom. We're trying to make it easy for clients to make a podcast. And that sounds obvious, but if your rate card has too much stuff on it, you transfer the need for people to have skill sets that they don't want to have. So what does it cost to make? Well, you need to book a studio. How much is that per hour? Then you need to edit. How much is that per hour? Then you need to post-produce. How much is that per hour? And then you're expecting the person who's booking with you to understand, okay, I need to record a 40-minute podcast. I'm going to book 90 minutes in the studio. 90 minutes in the studio equals three hours of editing. So you're asking people to have a skill set that they don't want to have. And there's a level of complexity there where it's just like, oh my God, this is so hard. I have to know how to plan it and book so many hours. No, I just want to make a podcast. How much to make a podcast? We try and bundle it based on what a client's looking for. Okay, I understand what you're doing. Yes, this package is an hour in studio, three hours of post and publishing, whatever is X. It's a podcast. Here's the price tag. Keep it simple. Keep it uncomplicated. And one of our founding tenets is that the lifetime value of a client is far more important to us than a quick win. We don't want to be a hit and miss, whatever you would call it, arrive, make a podcast, and then head off and look for the best price at another studio. If that's what you're looking for, you're not going to enjoy working with Solid Gold. It's very rare that somebody knocks on our door, walks in and makes a podcast. We kind of, whoa, 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 hang on a sec. We want to talk to you. We want to know what you're doing, where it's going. Are you prepared? 
we want you to succeed. We don't want you to go in the studio, record something, and after three episodes, you go, this was a waste of my time. It's not working. No, no. We want to ensure you succeed. So very much that relationship of understanding what people are doing, why they're doing it. What have we learned from other people? How can we guide them, make it work so that they're going to make podcasts with us for the next 10, 20 years? That's the goal. That's what we're looking for. And we make nice coffee. So, you know, it's really a family business feel. There is something about, maybe casual is the wrong word, but there's a certain uncorporate vibe and feel about a family business that we work hard to keep in place. You know what? It's interesting that you just brought up family because now that I'm thinking about it, with three children working for you, how do you balance the family aspect of being the father and then, you know, them as siblings, but also balancing between family and business? How do you all keep that separate and make sure that the relationships continue to thrive, you know what I mean, in both arenas? We don't do anything special. We just get on with our lives. They're all grown ups. They've all moved out of home. They all have their own lives and social lives and friends. And they get on with their life. I get on with mine. When there's nobody else around, yeah, we'll use family names and they'll call me dad. But when there's clients around, then it's first name. My children will call me Gavin. That's appropriate in front of a client. Right. Interesting. You mentioned earlier the flexibility. I'm not there to constrain them and say, this is what you're going to do and sign up here and you're here for the next 10 years and restraint of trade. It's not that kind of vibe. That's not the purpose. If one of them decides, you know, if Callum's right, I'm ready to commit and make swords full time. Awesome. I'm delighted. You know, I'm happy for his success, irrespective of what the implications are for the podcast studio. I'd like a smooth transition. I'd like his clients to not miss him too much. But my priority is clearly my children's happiness over the business. I love that. Create Your Life family. I had the opportunity to just sit and watch Caleb in action and his masterfulness of creating swords and talk to him about Game of Thrones, which is like one of my favorite shows, probably my favorite show. But talk to him about that, the craftsmanship and talk through him with knives and some of the YouTube channels that he watches and some of the guys that he goes to learn from and things like that. What do you call it? Blacksmith apprenticeship, I think he had said. You know, he's really in his zone. And it's funny that it's right there by the studio, too. So he can just go out on break and get to his craft. So I just thought that that was so Great that you allow for that space and that freedom for him to be able to be himself in the element, being at the studio and then also being able to blacksmith. So kudos to you, Gavin. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Creativity must be given space. Otherwise, life just sucks, man. Yeah. Creativity. I don't know if you ever listened to the Steve Jobs speech he gave at one of the universities where he talked about his journey and how it all made sense when you look backwards. He audited classes on calligraphy. And then when it came time for the Apple Mac to be launched and he looked at the fonts, he was like, no, that can't be the fonts we send this thing out with. We want decent fonts. And it was something completely unrelated that he allowed his curiosity to explore. And he learned about kerning and fonts and serifs and so forth. And when the time came many years later that he had something that related to that, it just made sense. And I think it's the same. You'll find if you do something creative, it'll connect to something else creative later on. But if you're getting up in the morning and dreading doing stuff because there's no creative outlet, then man, you've got bigger issues to deal with. I see that that's the business and life coach aspect of you coming out right there. <laughs> you know, like saying, hey, you got bigger issues if you're not allowing yourself to be creative and do some creative things. So I understand. I've got a friend who likes to quantify it. He says three hours a day. You should be doing your thing. Whatever that is that oh, you're wow. curious about, that you're interested in, he says it should be three hours a day. Okay. That's an intensive and very rigid, formulaic way of dealing with it. But, you know, if you do something for three hours a day for a month. That's a lot of time. That's 90 hours. Yeah. You do that for a year, it's a thousand hours. I like that. So, Gavin, for those who may be working with family members and haven't quite figured out the chemistry or the flow that you have with your family, what are three tips that you would tell others in order to create this environment where everybody's thriving, even though they're related and 
you know, balancing between family and business and things like that. I'm not sure if I've got a quick three at hand. I'll probably go a little bit sideways here. I'm also involved in a school that my boys used to go to. I'm still involved in the school. I was asked to join the board of that school and I still consult with them on some strategies and give advice here and there where I can add value. It's a really useful metaphor for everything is that when you're hiring teachers, it's a little bit more obvious how important it is to hire the right teachers. And it's incredibly difficult to hire the right teachers because the interview is very different from the implementation. And the parallel is when you're hiring people, you're really hiring for how are they going to be in the operation of the business, not what did they do. The interview is about clues to who they might be, but you really want to watch them in operation. You want to see them thriving. You want to see them happy. You want to see them enjoying stuff and say, well, how can you do what needs to be done while feeling and looking and being excited that way? So whether they're my children or any of our other editors or stuff, we're trying very hard. I've had businesses before where I've had lots of staff and it's very constrained and very rigid and very corporate. I'm trying very, very hard for this not to be that. I don't want to make anybody come to work who doesn't want to be there. Yeah, you have bad days and yeah, suck it up and come and do the work. I'm not saying uh, rainbows and sunshine and it's always fluffy. Yeah, you have tough days and you got to get in there and then pull an all-nighter and you didn't hit record and you have to restore the backup. That stuff happens, but suck it up, get it done. It's realizing that you're working with somebody to help them create something. You're not just coming in there to hit record and do a technical record and hand it over. No, you're an integral part of capturing what somebody's trying to say and share. And that's the most fundamental thing we work with. So it's about having people in there who are curious about that, enjoy do it, want to help other people unleash that. And they've got to have their own mission, their own goal. 20 years from now, if any of them are still with us, I'd be disappointed. No, this can't be it. There's got to be more to it. I'm not saying this isn't fulfilling, but I'd prefer that you had a 10-year destination or journey and we're part of it. And maybe you double back. Have you heard of boomeranging? Yeah. People work with a company and leave for greener pastures and then five years they come back and go, okay, I see what I had. I saw what was there. I've learned something else. I'm coming back to add value to something I loved before. So it's not really a three tips thing other than understand why you exist. Our number one tenant is we're embarking on an adventure together. You know, when somebody comes to do business with us, that's the first thing they got to know. This is not just a petrol station, walk in, put petrol in the car and give me money and it's a cold transaction. No, no, we're going to have an adventure together. Speaking of adventures, creatives, we are sensitive and protective over our things that we create, our work. How do you navigate challenges when dealing with difficult clients? Have you ever seen that meme of a sound engineer with a big mixing desk? And it says those three faders on the very far left closest to the client. You let the client fiddle with them. They don't do anything, but you let them think that they're having some control. (laughs) And, you know, the voice does three takes and you go, oh, yes, that's the one. But it's the same take you're playing back that you did 10 minutes ago. Sometimes it's about managing the relationship more than the work. (laughs) Sometimes... People come to you because you're an expert. You don't need to demonstrate and beat them with your expertise. You just need to do good work. You just need to be experts in the craft, in the work that you're doing. So yeah, if there's sibilance, you know, if there's a pop in the middle of a take that a client really loves, if the client says that's the one, it's your responsibility to quietly afterwards take that syllable from another take and replace the pop because that's the one they want. You don't have to go into too much detail. You don't have to beat them up and say, no, let's do it again. There's a pop in it. It's that relationship leading to something. It has to lead to something. So that's on the client side. On the creative side, I think the most important thing that creative people forget is that if you try and protect and constrain and limit people using your creativity, you stop growing and being creative. The more you 
are creative, the more you use your creativity and the more you share it, the more creativity will bubble out of you. You're not going to use it all up. So when you do something and you go, well, that's the best I've ever done and somebody copies you, pointless being resentful and get on with your life. You were creative. Somebody's copied you. Be creative again. It'll come again. Don't be scared. Creativity breeds creativity. You're never going to use it all up. I love that. Don't get stuck by hanging on to your past best work. Gavin, you've been at this for some time, but I'm sure there was a time where you didn't know as much as you do now. How has mentorship played a role in your success as an entrepreneur? The art of mentoring is that your mentee chooses you. You can never choose who to mentor. They must step up and come to you and say, please mentor me. It's a lot like therapy and help. You can't make somebody get help. As much as you can see somebody needs help, you can say, I'm here to help if you need it. But a person has to ask. A person has to come to you and say, will you mentor me? You can't go, oh, I've choose that person to mentor. It's not that kind of relationship. And then the art of mentoring is about shutting up more and asking good questions. You might know the answer to the question and you might be surprised by the answer or part of answer that you didn't know that the mentee does know because of their age or previous experience or experiences. Five, six years ago, didn't know what an RSS feed was in terms of a podcast, perhaps. Now I do. Now somebody comes and says, where should I host my podcast? I'm not just going to say you should host it there. It's going to be a series of questions. Tell me more about the podcast. Where are you going? What are you trying to do? What's your budget? A range of questions that lead to the revelation of an answer as opposed to, well, I've been doing this for longer than you. I'm going to prescribe what the answer is. Wow. Thank you for saying that. I'm going to engage in that approach. I love that. As you've been on this journey, what has been the key to you staying motivated, especially when you were first starting out with Solid Gold? or in podcasting period. (laughs) Have you ever heard of astronaut syndrome? No, I haven't actually. So how many men have walked on the moon? And I say men because it was all men, but how many people have walked on the moon? I don't know. I think it's 15. I think there were five Apollo missions that landed and three people, two people got out or whatever. So it's in that ballpark, 12 maybe. It's a very small number. You know, there's 7 billion people alive and there's something like 20 billion people have been alive before us now. And of those 20 billion before plus 7 billion currently alive, around about a dozen have done this one thing. And they did it when they were in their 20s or 30s. And they got back into their craft, left the moon's orbit, came back to Earth, splashed down the sea, got out and go, now what? What do you do with your life now? And if you don't have a goal beyond that goal, no matter how big that goal is, you just get astronaut syndrome, crash and burn. Tiger Woods wins the Masters and gets his green jacket. If he didn't have a plan for what he's doing the next day, you wake up that next day going, what's the meaning of life? Where am I going? I have no purpose. Even if you're one of those people who has won the Masters or walked on the moon. So what's made this last few years fun has been, can't wait to work with a multinational. Oh, I can't wait to work with a corporate who's going to try tie this into a retail campaign. Oh, I can't work to deal with somebody who does a crime podcast. You've kind of got these things we'd love to do And now and again, you get one and you go, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) It's as uncomplicated as that, Gavin. As long as there's stuff we're looking forward to, it's awesome to get up and go and do that stuff, especially when you're working on building it and you're ready to hit publish and launch something that you've been working on for a while. There have to be things in the pipeline beyond that. Otherwise, you wake up, "Mm, meh. (laughs) Right. Has the life coaching and business coaching helped you in your business experience? I'm hearing a lot of things that I can cue and that I recognize. It's been incredibly helpful and let's simplify it into two things. Number one is that you have to have a goal. If you aren't heading towards something, then you're just ambling around. You might as well be in the desert wandering around. And the clearer the goal is, the easier it is to move in that direction. But even if the goal is not crystal clear, at least you should be pointing in a direction. If we did a travel analogy, I don't have to be traveling to, what's your hometown now, Kevin? Nairobi, Kenya. Okay. 
So I could have a specific goal. I want to go and visit Kevin at the studio in Nairobi. Cool. How do I make that happen? I'm pointing north. I'm booking tickets. Or I could just go, hmm, I'm curious about Kenya. So that's a broader goal. Having a goal is really important. I know people go, oh, what's my five-year plan? Well, to be rich. No, that's not enough. You really need to drill it down. And you start by being a little bit wider and then get a little bit more narrow. The other key lesson from the coaching is that describe things as you want them, not as you don't want them. So if I say, Kevin, where do you want to go on your next holiday? That's very different from, hey, Kevin, where don't you want to go on your next holiday? Oh, wow. Well, I don't want to go to Australia. I don't want to go to Singapore. I don't want to go to China. Okay, it's a long list of things you don't want. What do you want? Having that picture in your head removes the clutter, gives you direction, and helps move everything toward that thing. So those two things, having a goal and describing things as you want without the negative. Don't describe things as you don't want them. You know, there's a syndrome, and it's called white bear syndrome, believe it or not. If I tell you not to think of a polar bear, you have to. So if you're thinking about what you don't want to do, you're cluttering your path with things that are obstructing you. Gotcha. With that, talking about obstructions and things like that, what are some things that you wish you knew before you launched Solid Gold? Hmm. Maybe like two things. I wish I knew how quickly we were going to land so many clients because I would have set aside a bigger wall to put all the artwork on. (laughs) We started out printing the artwork and we had four little posters up on the wall of our first few clients. And then it grew up to six and then nine. And now we run out of wall. We have to take them all down and clean the wall and put them up again closer to each other and find another wall. But that's a metaphor for understanding what you're going to grow into So you do things that give you the space to scale into them rather than repeating them. Don't put a network in that can handle 20 people if you're going to grow to 50. Put in a network for 50 or put in a network for 100. But some of those questions you can't answer. You just got to kind of have them as a goal and push the business towards them or learn from them and iterate the business. I wish I'd known how hard it is to convince corporate communication departments how important spoken word and podcasting is going to be. Just because you and I know what the USPs are and all the benefits... You walk into somebody and you pitch it as if they know what you know. No, they don't. And they're not buying podcasts. None of our clients buy podcasts. They buy, how can we communicate this bit message in a spoken word to this niche audience? We call that a podcast, but that's what they're buying. You go to the hardware store to buy a picture hanging in your lounge. You don't go there to buy a nail. And that's hard. It's hard describing things in the terms of what people are actually buying, not in terms of the size of the drill bit or the size of the nail or what metal the drill bit's made out of. They don't care. Interesting. This is good analogies. Thank you for that. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. Was there ever any point that you felt like you were going to give up? Never. 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 (laughs) I've never been clearer about the business I've been involved in than this one. Love that. That's strong. Who's been your biggest champion on your path to becoming who you are today? My children, my family, my girlfriend, people close to me. I've grown up in this culture of entrepreneurism. My father was an entrepreneur. He was a first-generation entrepreneur. He came from a family that wasn't. I grew up watching him and my children are growing up watching and experiencing me. And it's different. It's different. It's peaks and troughs. It's high risk, high reward, high stress, high elation. I think entrepreneurs are harder bosses on themselves than any boss could ever be. 
I would agree with that. I have got this picture in my head. My father passed away many years ago, but I still have this picture in my head that I really wish he'd been around for this part of my journey to discuss it with him and share it with him because I think he would have had some fun with us, completely out of his comfort zone and his expertise. But I think he would have given insights from an entrepreneurial perspective that would have made this even more fun than it is. Silently, he's still there as a champion and definitely those closest to me. Yeah. Okay. Gavin, what does your peer group look like? Quite diverse. Have you ever been to a school reunion? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to more than one? No. Which one did you go to? Homecoming college. Five year, 10 year? I think it was my 10. Okay. So if you go to a one year reunion and then a five year and then 10 year and then a 20 year, what happens is you just become more yourself and less concerned about what the cool group at school or college said about you and what was cool and what wasn't. The longer you're away from that and the more confident you become in your own skills and ability in life, the more fun a reunion becomes because it's just actually you there, not the you that people are imagining and so forth. So I like to think my peer group is full of more people that are well-established in themselves and their careers and their lives, not doing it to for acceptance or coolness or not showing off, genuinely sharing their challenges and triumphs. I'll talk to some of my friends in media about what we're experiencing. I'm not going there showing off. I'm going there genuinely engaging, saying, I don't know what to do here. So I'd like to say they're quite a mature, grown-up group who behave like children when it's party time. <laughs> That's a good thing. Strong, independent people with opinions, caring, helpful. Great. People I'm happy to spend time with. <laughs> now, that's the most important part. People that you're happy to spend time with and who get you. I think people who get you are most important. Especially when you're up in your own head too much and you're not too down in the weeds and you're not stepping back. Sometimes you need these people just to give you that virtual slap and step back and call you on your, uh, your BS, you know. So Gavin, with all of the things that you've done, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what do you think you would be doing? I have a choice of doing what I want to do and I'm choosing to do this. Powerful. I've done other stuff. I've built businesses. I've sold businesses. I've gone into coaching. I've done a lot of things. I'm doing this because it's like the perfect opposite of a storm. It was a confluence of what's happening in the world, what's happening in technology, what's happening in media, what's happening in my skills. Everything kind of led to this confluence. If you indulge me, I'll tell you a, <laughs> a boring story. I'll keep it short though. Okay. My younger brother and I went to on a trip to the States when I was in my early 20s and he was a teenager and we did a whirlwind two-week trip around New York, LA, San Francisco, Boston, Tijuana, Vegas. We did the whole thing in two, three weeks. It was like we caught a plane a day. While we were in New York Central Park, we saw people rollerblading. It wasn't really called rollerblading back then. I think they were just still called inline skates or something. I looked at that and I thought, these are cool and these are going to be big. I could see this was going to be something. We'd never even heard of them in South Africa at the time. And I came home and did nothing about it. In the following months and years, they did in fact become big and they're still part of the universe. But I was very aware that I'd seen an opportunity. I had a high level of confidence and did nothing with it. And then about six, seven years ago, I was driving around, dropped my kids at school, one of my kids, and I noticed in the car that I was listening to podcasts and was no longer listening to the radio. And that moment felt like that same moment when I saw inline skates, rollerblades for the first time. It was like, holy crap. And what's funny about it is it wasn't my first experience of podcast. I've been listening to podcasts since 2005, 2006. Wow. But it used to be really hard back then. Yeah. You had to go and find the RSS feed, paste it into iTunes, fetch it, plug your iPod into it, sync it. It was really hard work. So I did it for a while and gave it up and came back to it when it got easier. But that moment in the car, I had that clarity that this thing is going to be huge. And not only is it going to be huge, unlike the rollerblades thing, I actually have 
the skill set, the studios, the wherewithal to do something with this opportunity. And that was it. Not going to miss this opportunity. And took the building when tenants' leases came up. We didn't renew. We took the space. We took it all back. Built the studio. Built another studio. Just double down and keep doubling down. I just know this is going to be huge. I can tell it's going to be huge. And it's going to be huge in my own, I hate this expression, but in my own wheelhouse. What else could I be doing? Probably a lot of things. What I'm going to, no, this is it, man. I love that answer. So just to be clear, you had studios before you created Solid Gold. Am I understanding that correctly? You said you had tenants in the building or what was happening? Yeah. So in one of my past businesses, we built a business called Air Media, which did in-store radio. So we ran radio stations for retailers around Southern Africa for mining companies, in-house corporate communication, retail radio. We ran a whole lot of those. I sold that business in 2008. They stayed on as a tenant they moved on a few years ago. I kept some of the space for myself. As they've gone, I've taken all the space back and now it's all podcast audiobooks. Thank you for that. You talked about you know that this is going to be the future. This is what's happening. And you're locked in, you're focused. You've also expressed on different panels that we've talked on and in our personal conversations, Gavin, some very great futuristic takes on what you feel the podcasting industry will become regarding the theater of the mind, also community. Can you tell us what you feel like the future listening trends are and creating podcasts looks like as we move forward from your perspective? I'd like to set that up by saying that as humans, we've been humans for about 250,000 years, let's call it that. And for most of that time, we've used the spoken word to communicate. It's only in the last 10, 15, 20,000 years, I think arguably the oldest cave paintings are around 45,000 years as a way of taking a story and putting it down so that a person is no longer available, the story is captured. So reading and writing is about taking the spoken word and not losing it. And now we've gone back to the spoken word in a way that we don't risk losing it. If we were able to 50,000 years ago record spoken word why would we have evolved language as much as we did? I mean, we can debate that. But we learned to read and write so that we could capture what we were saying and not lose it. And now we're able to actually record and save what we're saying and not lose it. So I think we're going to revert to the mean, which is spoken word. But tech being what it is, there's going to be a lot more creative manifestations of it. You're going to walk into a bottle store and see a nice bottle of wine and pull your phone out and scan the QR code and listen to a three-minute discussion with the winemaker about that bottle of wine. It's going to be that kind of creative manifestations or implementations of audio and spoken word. You can call that a podcast if you want to. It doesn't matter. The point I'm making is it's going to be far more use of conversations and storytelling as part of our ongoing narrative and communication. I think they're going to manifest in some interesting ways in hybrid series. You know, what's your favorite television series other than Game of Thrones? Let's go with Game of Thrones. Let's do that. DLT. You've watched Game of Thrones. What if we did a Game of Thrones backstory and it was just all done as a podcast? You get to take a book and make it not an audiobook with one voice, but actually a multi-person production with a bit of foley's and a bit of texture added to it. What if we alternated that with a couple of episodes that were visual? So episode one of the backstory is set the scene here, the new characters, and the next five episodes are all as podcasts. And then we do a couple of TV episodes and we go back to podcasts. Six months a year after that series ends, if you and I have a conversation about it, I'd bet pretty much anything I have that you wouldn't be able to remember which ones you listened to and which ones you saw. Because in your mind, they're all going to conflate into, I've seen the character and then I heard them, but I can't remember if I saw and heard that part of them. I'm not talking about a companion podcast where it's like a direct describing it. I'm talking about actually progressing the story in sometimes video, sometimes audio. You know, if we did 
stalls and your budget's constrained, you blow up the Death Star in a podcast, not on a video, because it's cheaper to make a sound effect than to make the video. So your budget for production can go so much further if you're doing it this way. On the community side, if you've grown up with radio, most people at some point <laughs> pretend they're DJs. <laughs> they want to be behind a mic. And usually the first place you go is your closest community station. Say, I want to be a DJ. How do I get involved? And I think what we're going to find is they're going to be able to give you some basic training on microphone, digital recorder, send you out in the field, go and record some stuff, come back, teach you how to edit it, teach you how to build a narrative arc, teach you how to produce. Want to be DJs out in the field to be field reporters and make content. And then take all that content, put it up on the radio station's podcast channel and let the audience tell you whose content they like, which people they like. And that becomes your gateway to, oh, somebody's leaving, we've got an opportunity in that space and you've been making that content. So podcasting looks like it could be a natural entry point gateway progression method into broadcasting. It's not your traditional spin the discs DJ journey, but you're more BBC, NPR kind of production. I think podcasting is a gateway into being a more mainstream, broader appeal broadcaster, if that's still what you want to do. But I think a lot of people are going to discover podcasting and go, no, radio is not what I do. Actually, this is it. Gotcha. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Radio led me into podcasting, so I could see the correlation. It's just podcasting has so much more freedom versus having to be there at the studio at that designated time. So I think that hybrid model... Yeah, that it's an artificial constraint. And the problem with artificial constraints is they're sticky. You know, if we go back 120 years, all cars looked like horse-drawn buggies with the horse gone. And why is that? Well, the fastest path to success was to take a horse-drawn buggy and put an engine on it. Podcasting looks like radio because that's pretty much what it was for a while. After you've worked with an engine and a buggy for a while and you could start building from the ground up instead of modifying what you started with, it stops looking like radio and it starts looking like podcasting. But we're still very, very much in the horse-drawn buggy with a horse-gone stage of podcasting. Because people first experience a spoken word is radio, it creates a cage around the mind of what audio should be. So you've got to encourage people to break out of that and build it from the ground up and take a form-follows-function approach. What am I trying to do? Don't worry about what radio looks like. It's not two people in a room with one microphone that makes it your show. It's what questions am I asking? What journey am I taking? That's your show. Now, what form does it take? The people who want to be in radio because they've heard radio, they might not have heard podcasting yet. Love that. All right. So this is my last question for you before we end this segment of the interview. With podcasting growing at such a quick pace, what do you feel the future of podcasting looks like in South Africa and Africa as a whole specifically? Podcasting is going to kill radio in a certain segment. National radio, you need. Government needs to communicate. There's a case to be made for national radio. When it comes to local, parochial, community, geographical, small geographical radio, definitely a need for that. Because if you tell me there's a pothole on the corner of X and Y Street, I live there, it's close to me, it's meaningful information. It's that bit in the middle that's getting really, really hard to justify where radio adds value. You get into your car and turn on the radio and you're hearing a DJ read a tweet to you that you read yesterday or reading you a tweet of somebody you don't follow because you don't care. And they're giving you a traffic report for a town you're not in and they're giving you sports results for a sport you don't follow or for a result you're following live. It's really, really hard in that middle space to justify the value you're adding as a radio station or as a DJ. They find you new music. Spotify does that better than they do. The tech has come for that middle part of the curve your regional stations, your commercial stations. There's a lot of inertia, a lot of momentum keeping them going. They're being supported by a revenue model that has not yet worked out how to fund podcasts. They know how to fund radio, so they're going to keep funding radio. That kind of radio is dead. It just doesn't know it yet and it hasn't fallen over. So what does the future look like? We de-networked 
20, 30 years ago, where if you wanted to get popular, you had to take your content to a network and they took it to their audience. Where now, if you make the content, you can find a niche, you can find an audience. I think those kind of radio stations might find themselves having to re-aggregate content and give it to a network. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure if it will work. But you might find that a regional station looks at their audience and says, okay, I've got 18 to 25 employed, blah, blah, listening at this time of day on these days. What podcast can I aggregate and put them onto our channel and put advertising around? We might find more of that syndication, aggregation, curation role. But quite frankly, when you open up Radio Garden on your phone and you can listen to one of millions of radio stations, the odds that the station that's going to attract your attention just happens to be the one within 50 kilometers of you right now is the best one. No, the odds don't favor that. Well, Gavin, thank you for that answer. We are entering the next aspect of this interview. These are <laughs> rapid fire questions, man. You have to answer in 30 seconds or less. So you are about to enter the dolphin tank. My question to you right now is, are you ready? Is that one of the three questions? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay it was much quicker than 30 seconds Kim. yes yes what was the last song you listened to on your playlist i can't tell you what it was called because i love having a tropical house on in the background so it's definitely some house beat with an ibiza theme going in it cheerful friday afternoon how do you measure or make sure that you are growing each year i can't give you a 30 second answer other than to say i try not be too scientific about it. Do I want to keep on the journey I'm going? Do I keep it in the direction I am? Yes, because this was a good year and I got good feedback and I had fun. Cool, keep doing that. It was a good year. Did I go on holiday? Did I have some fun? Did I try a different restaurant? There are life things. You know, I'm not 25 anymore. My measures of success, my metrics of success are very different. They relate more to time and experiences over things. So did I do enough things? Did I have enough silly parties? Did I spend, go to a restaurant? For me, it's that. If I'm doing those things and I've got some memories and did some stuff. Last year was Peru. This year we're going to the UK. You get and and all views to the world. And if I ask you what makes you sad, and you might list a couple of things, but what you'll tend to do is you'll list them and you'll say, this makes me sad, or this makes me sad, or this makes me sad. And if I ask you what makes you happy, you'll go, oh, this makes me happy, and this makes me happy, and this makes me happy. By making something an and, you make it cumulative that they all have to be in place before you're happy. And you're making it harder for yourself to be happy than to be sad. If my dog dies, I'm sad. If I get a new puppy and if I've got a job and if I see my friends, I'm happy. You have to put all three of those things together to be happy. And we do this subconsciously. We should just take the win. I've got a new puppy. I'm happy. I love that. And versus all. The, the and is going to make your life challenging. That's awesome. What was holding you back from becoming the Gavin that you are today, creating the life that you want? I felt that I needed to be connected to people in a very tight relationships and that I was defined by being in those as opposed to being able to be a valid, meaningful, standalone person and be able to not to have, feel like I have to defend that, but that's who I am. That acceptance of self, that'll hold you back every time. And if you don't accept that, it's okay to be whoever you are and it's okay to want whatever you want and it's okay to be on your journey. With those things not in place, that is what held me back. Okay, thank you. All right, so we will get back to the rapid fire aspect. Top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly. Specifically, brands, names, mics. We're a road house. We love road. Road Costa Pros, Road Costa Pro 2s, NTU mics, the Go wireless mics, pop-up podcasting. That's going to be so huge. We didn't even touch on that. Taking the podcast to people's offices and stuff, huge. But we try and make our studios look more like places to have conversations than high-tech places. We're not selling 
oh, we're using an NT1 USB microphone. That's going to make your pod. No, don't worry about the mic. Sit here, be comfortable, have a cup of water, clear your throat. So the tech is there, but it's background. That's for us. The tech's not to get a client to come work with us. It's a given that you must do good work. That's the minimum viable standards. Favorite quote or model that you live by? To be understood, you must first be heard. Most impactful book you've ever read? I have a couple of books in different categories. Ayn Rand's At a Shrugged, give you a whole different view on the importance of self. James Michener's book, The Covenant, which is a book about South Africa, the history of South Africa and the journey it went on. Real amazing insights into our journey. Another one, the name eludes me, about an archaeological dig. And then The Richest Man in Babylon. That's a book you should read. That's a good one. I love that book. Okay, Gavin, really quickly, three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create their best life. Three jewels, create their best life. Trust yourself. Have purposeful, meaningful destination and take people along with you. Have fun with people along that journey. Really quickly, what's next for you? Another hundred clients, more podcasts, more clients doing a fully integrated podcast, YouTube channel, shop. I told you we're experimenting that space. I want to see that kick into making that a proper product offering with multiple clients. Being there when we see somebody come along and say, I've got this cool idea and you go, wow, I hadn't thought of that. That's awesome. Let's do that thing. And what's the best way for our listeners to keep in contact with you? Google Solid Gold Podcasts. We've got some interactive things on our website where you can do a template, give you some guidance if that's where you're starting. We run workshops that you can come and sign up for. We have a newsletter that goes out every now and again when we get around to doing some scribbling and communicate, talk to us. Don't be shy to drop us a mail, ask questions. Everybody starts somewhere, reach out, say hello. Sounds great. All right, Gavin, congratulations. You have survived the dolphin tank. So Gavin, last segment of the interview is called The Turnaround. You get to ask me three questions, totally unscripted. I have to answer, but I only have one request. Yeah, be gentle. (laughs) Yes, please be gentle. (laughs) What's the Y stand for, Kevin? Oh man, that is a secret. (laughs) Oh, sorry, you said be gentle. (laughs) Yeah, be gentle. So many people have asked me that. I'm actually purposely keeping it anonymous. I'll give you another replacement question for that one. (laughs) Which podcast that you listen to do you wish you had made? You know what? Honestly, Gavin, kind of like you, I've always been really comfortable with who I am and the things that I've done. So the podcast that I listen to that I wish I've made or that I'm happy that I made is the Create Your Life series. But I do appreciate other pods. I really like Entrepreneurial Fire by John Lee Dumas. That has always been a favorite. I like Ash Cash. He's a friend of mine. Earn Your Leisure. Those guys do a good job. So those are some of the ones that I'm listening to actively. When you talked about companion podcasts, there's this guy, his YouTube channel is called Talking Thrones. And I think he did a really good job in covering a lot of what was happening in the Game of Thrones universe and even with the House of the Dragon. So very thankful for that guy. I don't think I would want to create somebody else's pod, but I'm grateful for the pods that exist and to appreciate other people's creativeness. Lovely. Magic one dream guest. Oh, man. One dream guest. I'll let you simmer on that. I'm going to tell you one of my secrets to happiness. I have a lot more than 10 things in my top 10 list. I'll hear a song and say, ah, top 10 song. But if you add up all the songs I say in my top 10, there might be 50. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's cool. So yeah, top three, top four, throw as they come, you know, which politician would you love to have as a guest? I don't think any of mine would be politicians. Like alive or dead, I would love to have spoken to Kobe Bryant. I'm really big into people's work ethic and the way that their mind works. So, you know, like Kobe Bryant, maybe Michael Jackson, Floyd Mayweather is somebody who I've been looking at a lot lately. 
How many of these people are still alive, Kevin? Well, Floyd Mayweather's alive. I haven't really thought too much about dream guests. I have a list somewhere, but I kind of get fascinated with the people who are around me, the way that they think. I'm just really interested in people's work ethics and their processes and things like that. Can I try a proxy question? This is the same question, just rephrased. Have you heard of a fantasy dinner? Which 10 people, living or dead, would you like to have around to your house for a dinner? I think you still get the same three people right there. I think Tupac Shakur would be there. Who ever mentored you? Who did you have as a mentor? I have many mentors, actually. One gentleman, Fillmore Graham, who was very instrumental in my life and all of my friends' lives. He was the founder of a Boys and Girls Club in my hometown. Pelton Stewart, he's ran a young boys leadership group that I was a part of when I was a kid that still those habits I carry out until today. And one of my foster mothers, Mary Jackson, Miss Carrie Wilson, Beverly Ferguson Barrett. I mean, I can go on and on. Raphael Moffitt, Marie Brown. Like, there's so many people who have impacted me. Even from a friend tour perspective, you learn and stuff like that from everybody. So I consistently try to tap in with those people. So the fantasy dinner and the guest questions are really proxies for kind of a distillation of the mentorship that you enjoyed looking for, something like that. So you're looking at Floyd Mayweather as a consolidation of some of those values and things that you look. So now I've got my last question, the toughest one. Why haven't you invited Floyd Mayweather on to be onto your podcast yet? I will at some point. I figured that I might need more recognition, <laughs> but you know what though? I'll go ahead and shoot that shot. But I'm really just yeah. curious. You know, I watch his 24-7 workouts and I watch his videos and the things that he says. I love his discipline. And that's something that attracts me. Like you want to have this high level of discipline and stuff. So that's what that is about. What do you think he wants out of people who approach him? I'll have to think a little bit more about that. But I think he definitely wants you to be authentic and to have some things going for yourself, to have a buzz that's worth his time. And to derive benefit. Yeah. If he saw that you might derive benefit from his time, then you're making it easy for him to fulfill his purpose in life as well. Most definitely. Well, Gavin, man, thank you so much for being a guest on the Create Your Life series. It's been a pleasure to sit down and talk to you, my friend. That's always fun, Kevin. Thank you. I really appreciate you staying in touch and going on your adventure and growing podcasts in Africa and traveling around the world, talking podcasts, and on the side, still helping people to grow into better versions of themselves. I really do appreciate the time. And it's always a joy talking to you, Kevin. Thank you, man. Kevin, why the why, Brown? <laughs> yeah, my staff, the team in the office, they're writing out names. They call it Saw for Why. They're trying to guess my middle name. And then when they guess it, I have to tell them. So it's pretty awesome. Well, yeah. Lovely, Kevin, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gavin. Create Your Life family, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to info at cylseries.com. And the Create Your Life series is executive produced by Kevin Y. Brown and produced by Podcast Laundry Production Company. And this episode has been recorded at Kofisi Studios in Nairobi, Kenya. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. Create your life. Africa X. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, 
Then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.